0: Hello, I'm Sarah Pascoe, a comedian, and you can follow me on Twitter at, at, not two ats, just one at. So it's at Sarah Pascoe,
1: S-A-R-A-P-A-S-C-O-E. That's it. So Sarah, how did you get into comedy? Um, it,
0: well, I was an actor, that's my job, and um, I had been doing more comedy. Um, I, I did a, a a show called News Review, which is kind of sketches. So although I got the job as an actor, it opened my eyes more I guess to comedy. And so it was kind of an experiment really in terms of writing something I'd always written but never performed my own work. And I kind of so sort I of booked in at the Bedford in Balham, which is quite um I just went on my own and had two glasses of wine and um and then basically read out what I'd written and um I, I don't think anyone actually laughed in the audience but they were really smiley and I just remember thinking, Oh, this is alright this is right. I can do this and I'd just um, broken up with a boy and then you know you get filled with this like white pure energy of I need to be busy and and show the world that I'm worth something and show him and so it kind of really this kind of uh, this new thing and it got me out of the house and I met lots of people and I got to drink with those people and so I really got into stand-up mainly for the social life I think for getting out of the house and then um, for the first six months just really enjoyed being on stage completely didn't think it was going to affect what I wanted to do for my career so I had a lot of fun and then I think after about eight months when I decided I did want to do it actually as my job then I found it really hard because the minute I started caring too much about how my gigs were going or whether I was going to be successful which is really weird that you start thinking that so early because actually it takes years and years to be successful at stand-up. But then it it all got a lot harder. And now what I'm trying to learn again is that um, to have that fun on stage because you don't care at the beginning. I'm trying to go back to that now. Because I think I was probably much better in my first six months. I think that. But then if I actually had to watch myself, I'd probably die.
1: So after your first gig, how often did you gig after that? Oh, I've always gigged between five and seven times a week.
0: So um, I would have at least one day doubling up and ideally have a gig every day it's quite difficult to get new material gigs or open mic gigs at the weekend but because I live in London there's so much and usually you can get a five or a ten spot somewhere so I was usually really good at doing lots and lots of gigs and I used to do character as well so if I couldn't get a stand-up gig I'd do a character gig
1: and you do a lot of improv comedy and did you do that before you started doing stand-up
0: uh, yeah I did because I was an actor obviously improvising is part of acting a lot as part of the rehearsal process and at university um, uh, Cariad Lloyd who is a comic as well um, she and I did a uh, improv show she might have talked to you about it because a beardy man was in it as well so um, it's a little dream team now that we're kind of all carried on and occasionally like in it, he was up in Edinburgh as well and um we get to well he's been he's much more successful than we are
1: and Gemma Whelan
0: oh yeah and Gemma Whelan she no she wasn't at Sussex though Gemma Whelan was um, in the Institute, which was at the Canal Cafe. So uh, yeah, so when we came to London, I lived with Cariad, and she set up an improv group at the Canal Cafe, so they gave us the space for free every two weeks. So we rehearsed for free, and um, King's, I can't remember what university it is, whatever university is next to London Bridge Station, it's a, it King's, yeah. So we rehearsed there, and then we had shows for free, so we didn't make any money, we didn't lose any money. And Gemma Whelan was in that group, and Ben Van Der Veld and Jim um, Arasmith, and so lots of other kind of comics, and and Jess Foster, lots of stand-ups. Yeah.
1: A few years ago, in an interview, you said that you found it hard to gig the same stuff over and over again. For example, as long as the period is Edinburgh. So, do you feel that that's changed, or is that still the same? Um,
0: I am learning to be consistent. M- more consistent at the beginning I really I almost would want to write a new 15 minutes or 20 minutes for every single gig depending on what had happened that day but it does mean that you're very often using the patience of the audience and the promoter who's booked you to do it so now I'm getting much better at for a tw- trying to keep a 20 for big gigs or scary gigs or gigs where you're paid a lot of money keeping a 20 that's consistent and you know works and I think I've been doing this four and a half years now. By now, I do have material I don't hate. was at the beginning, actually, I think I hated everything pretty soon because you grow out of it really quickly. So we're getting better at that now. And and the Edinburgh show is more like a play, I think, and obviously with a play. So actually what you do is you find new stuff in the material every day because you can't keep changing it.
1: And so speaking of a play, your Edinburgh 2012 show is about your life and then your show, for example, in 2010, Sarah Pascoe versus Her Ego was also about you. And... A lot of comics talk about other subjects. and uh, Do you find that you've always done material about yourself or did you branch off into talking about other topics?
0: Oh, well, actually, it's, it's interesting because Sarah Pascoe vs. ego, my first show, was all completely made up. So although I was pretending to talk about myself, it, none of it actually happened or was true. And a lot of it wasn't even really things I thought. And so Sarah Pasco the musical, is the first time of me actually using my biography as in here are some funny things that happened to me. Um, and that's the first time that I'm doing that. I really want to I think you um it's always been my plan to talk about things that I uh, believe or opinions that I have or things that i'm learning about. but I always thought that I had to learn how to be on stage first, had to learn how to be interesting and how to and I think um you had to earn the right for an audience to want to care what on earth your opinion is really so that's f- so that's for me, and so that's what I hope is th- i mean that's what's wonderful about how long we get to do this for That. um yeah in six years time I might feel much more confident doing a show about for example female circumcision that's just an example and it would be very very difficult to make that show funny but it might be I'm I'm a feminist I'm really interested in women's issues especially uh, human rights all over the world men and women and so that might be something where I do go okay this year I'll get a smaller venue and I'll do that show (laughs)
1: And your set has lots of different elements to it. You have puns and you have longer observational pieces and stories. So, is there a specific type of joke that you prefer writing and performing the most?
0: Um, I like it when the joke kind of comes out of your subconscious already written. That's what I like. It's brilliant when you're just, just about to fall asleep or just as you wake up and it kind of, your brain writes it for you and you just go, yeah, that's brilliant. I had a joke in my last show which was about how was it about uh, committed vegetarians and it was about how how can you be an uncommitted vegetarian which makes it sound crap but that was basically it but my brain just wrote it and I woke up and went yep and I'm, I'm having that and then they're so much easier than the jokes where you go I think there's a joke there but I can't quite get it and you're scribbling different versions of it down going I think there's something there but I haven't quite cracked it they're the hard ones
1: and do you have a process of writing your material? Do you find that you have to just sit and write or do you th- or or do you find that are oh, you just walking in and a joke comes to you or you wake up and the joke's written itself?
0: Um, yeah, I think you have to do all of it. So I do sit down to write and especially to edit stand up. Th- what r- what's really good if you record your gigs, just cutting waffle, because when you think you need a lot of setup, you think you need to s- to paint a whole picture for a joke to work and quite often you don't that actually you can take a lot of that out and just say, it was a chef, he was in a butcher shop, that's what happened. Whereas the tendency to go, it was a sunny day and the chef was a Libra and he was walking along the road and <laughs> then he happened to think, oh, what about if I bought some meat? So he went into the butchers and you'll just think, okay, lose that. No one ever laughs there. That's just, it's storytelling in them. So so I think you have to be quite strict with yourself and examining. Some people don't even write their jokes out, but I do. And so, yeah, something might come to you. I used to get loads and loads on public transport. And sometimes that can still happen where one thing sparks off and then you find yourself scribbling and scribbling and scribbling. And it's so much easier than sitting down and going, right, I'm going to do two hours work. Um, but I think you have to do all of it, really. So.
1: Well, it's interesting because a lot of jokes can be even more successful just with the rhythm of and the pace of it rather than the whole setup. So when you cut that out, that can actually even excel a joke.
0: Absolutely. Um, like with, Yeah, it's a rhythmical thing. The rhythm can make the difference between a joke working and not working. And that's what you get much better at when you go on it longer, is that becomes instinctive. Whereas at the beginning you don't trust it. You think, oh, I delivered it that way, and they all laughed, and I can't remember why. And that's why it's so important to record them sometimes. Because especially if a joke doesn't work, it'll just be you've stressed the wrong word. And you're asking an audience to comprehend so much so quickly that the easier you make it for them... um, the more likely it is you're going to have a a good hit rate with your gags.
1: And you've got a a very confident persona on stage. And even with uh, Sarah Pascoe versus her ego, even if it wasn't completely true, it was this egotistical persona. So being so confident on stage, do you feel that you're more likely? And have you been heckled more so?
0: I think people don't start heckling to you until you look like you can handle it. That's definitely true. My first three months of comedy, I thought girls didn't get heckled. Cause I, and um, I thought, oh, people just don't heckle girls because we're so nice. And then I found out that, that they definitely do. Um, the confidence thing for me was... Um, my first few months, I noticed quite a lot of women. But actually, it's not women. It's all comedians. Their first thing is, I know what you're thinking. I'm fat. Or you look like that bald man. Or... And I just saw a lot of women going, oh, I got this dress from Primark. or I can't get a boyfriend. And I just decided, as an experiment, to try the opposite, which is because I wanted to go up there and go, oh my God, I'm so fat, and my boyfriend dumped me, and I'm heartbroken. But I did the opposite, which instead was like, hey, everyone, I'm excellent. And and and, um, And it's actually quite an interesting exercise because you believe it. You reinforce things in yourself. You tell yourself you're excellent, it makes you happier, <laughs> rather than tell yourself you're useless all the time. But then it's interesting with the clown because to do stand-up, you do have to be the butt of a lot of your own jokes. But I think what I was trying to do, and d- with varying levels of success, is look like I thought that I was brilliant, but sh- tell stories and jokes which made it very clear that I wasn't, that I made mistakes or was very ignorant or naive. So that's what I was attempting to do without ever actually going, I'm not attractive enough. Because I think such a problem with young women. I don't know about older women, so I'm not one yet, but we have such a problem with it and then we hear other women saying it and it makes us feel bad. Like I remember Lou Sanders, when I first saw her and I thought she was so amazing. She's such a brilliant stand-up but she opened by saying, she's wearing a pink dress and she said, I know what you think, I look like a fat ballerina. And she was like one of the most thinnest people in the room. She's not a fat girl and I just thought, why would you say that to an audience full of women who already hate themselves? Like we get those messages everywhere that stand-up is, is fantastic because none of us are judged on what we look like. You're not, it's all about what you say. It doesn't matter, actually, who you are from the minute you open your mouth. And that's amazing for us. So we shouldn't make it about what we're like, either.
1: And so you say that women are judged on what they say. Have you ever found there to be obstacles being a woman in stand-up?
0: I really haven't, personally, which doesn't mean that if someone else said that they did, I would say, no, there isn't, that doesn't exist. I think there's sexism in every single trade. I think think we shouldn't think about it too much. I think if... um, a black South African wanted to join the cricket team in South Africa, I would say, practice cricket. I wouldn't say, oh man, it's gonna be so tough. It's got predominantly white players. Uh, You just have to get on with it. And I think sometimes if you're thinking in your head, this is the kind of audience that's gonna go, a woman, when I walk on stage, you've already fucked yourself up. What you have to, I just look at the guys and go, this this audience is 50% female. They're so lucky I'm here. I'm talking about stuff. Don't, I'm don't. i not a man-hater, but I am talking about things as a woman and my responses to things as a woman and my outrage at magazines or things that patronise us. And I think they're so lucky I'm here. And actually, I've always found if you go on... They, they are lucky to have you and you're as good as your first joke. And if, and if they don't like you, usually it's your material or because you have undermined yourself. And we're all too evolved for that now. Someone that's left the house to go to a comedy club, unless it's Christmas or it's like a jongler's, these are evolved people we're dealing with. They're, they've chosen yeah, not to watch telly, to go out and see an art form, really. And so you wouldn't expect in a gallery someone to go, oh, that's a female painter, I'm going to walk past. And I think you have to expect the same in a comedy club. And the audience will, most of the time, show you that respect back, I, th- I believe.
1: Are there any comedians that influence your style of comedy? Yeah, probably
0: far too many, actually. And I'm, I'm one of those people that I always want to uh, absorb other people and copy them. I would love to be Tony Law. Like, actually, if I could go away and reinvent myself and have a Canadian accent, I would do that. And then um, I do this thing called ACMS and the Alternative Comedians Memorial Society. So that's every two weeks. And it, we... So there's there's a core group of us and we do different things every two weeks and it's people like Will Andrews and Bridget Christie, Josie Long, Izzy Suty. And I just want to be them as well. And every time I watch them I'm like, why am I even bothering with this? When Bridget Christie is so good. <laughs> um and Alexis Dubbas is an amazing writer and really confident performer. And um yeah, there's really, really brilliant people there. And uh, it's really good that I get to see them just trying stuff that they only ever do once. Um Yes, there's lots of comedians that influence me. Uh, Who else? I mean, I love people. Actually, I did a show where I worked with people like Josh Widdicombe and John Richardson, and they both really affected me because they write so well. And where I would drop a topic, I guess it's like I go, ah, here's this topic. It's about an aeroplane in Uganda. And then I'll write two lines and I'm done with it. Whereas they will really milk it. They will every angle and... And that really changed my writing when I realised, oh, you don't have to go, yeah, and that's the first joke. You can go, there might be other things here, and there might be something later that you keep and drop that first thing. And actually, it's really enjoyable to see someone play with something for three minutes, whereas I'm just going, no, done it, done the joke, or my first instinct. So that was really interesting, working with both of them. And John Richardson in particular as well. He gets away with giving you quite a lot of his own opinion, and you go okay, I don't necessarily agree, but I kind of like that you're telling me that. that like He's really personally involved in what he's talking about, which is really interesting.
1: Because you do a lot of audience interaction. Were you d- Did you start off doing that? And if not, how did you get the confidence to start doing that?
0: I think I have always done it. I think I've never been scared of the audience. But then I think it's also because it's what happens. I get scared of the audience if there's more people than you can see. If there's 80 people or more, I get scared. Less than that, I feel like... It's, it's a conversation more and I'm lucky in my training because my first job when I was 18 I was at the Millennium Dome and I um it was in street theatre and I remember my very first day I got sent to this costume wardrobe and they said pick a costume and then I was like okay so I picked a costume and then okay now you put it on you go out there and you talk to people in character and I was so terrified I was 18 so terrified and I had this like rain mac on and an umbrella, and I had an old lady wig. And I remember walking out thinking, I'm never going to be able to speak to a stranger. Because, But then actually I kind of hid behind the character. And by the end of the hour, I was just like so amazed. I was so thrilled at it. It was so brilliant, just going up to people and people in queues and saying hello. And you could always tell who wanted to talk because they'd meet your eye. And then you would go over and talk, and you could always tell who wanted you to fuck off, and you wouldn't push it. It's exactly the same with the audience. You can tell when they're receptive. And people quite often... If you ask, Especially if you're asking rhetorical questions and things, or they have an opinion. It's actually a compliment if they want to talk to you back. So it means, I'm engaged with this, and I've got a point. It usually, unless they're very drunk, isn't... I think what you're saying is bullshit.
1: And so having dressed up in the Millennium Dome in a character and speaking to the audience, is that why you then started doing a lot of character comedy?
0: Um, I think I never thought I'd be able to do stand-up as myself. I thought I wanted to do stand-up as characters. But really... Um, It's because I I don't think I really wanted to go very dark. I didn't think I'd get away with being me and dark. And it's interesting because, of course, you can. But the jokes I wanted to write were... I mean, they weren't very good, but they were certainly um, a woman who was suffering. And I thought you couldn't be... Oh, hello, I'm a normal person, and this is what happened with my mum. But actually, you can.
1: And you said that you originally were an actor before going into stand-up and you've done a lot of comic acting for example campus and the thick of it so do you prefer comic acting or do you prefer stand-up Um, I always say that I
0: always prefer the thing that I'm not doing. I think it's quite natural that kind of, I mean, as actors especially, we whinge. So whenever I'm filming something, I get very like, oh, God, why am I up so early? Uh, I just feel really constrained. Everyone keeps making me say the same thing all the time. And then when I do stand-up and I get really incredibly nervous, I'm like, I just want to get paid a lot of money to sit in makeup (laughs) and have someone do my face. (laughs) Um, But I'm very lucky because actually the two support, I never did any television work until I was... was I got an agent through stand-up. And then now, if I'm filming quite often, I can still do gigs in the evening. Even campus, we filmed in Bath, and I would c- come back, stay overnight, and then get a car in the morning if I had a gig, just so I, I kept my hand in, because I, I love it. And um, and the same, or even if I cancel, have to cancel a couple of gigs for filming, it then means that you have, I mean, because television's well-paid, you then have a couple of months where I never have to take a gig because of the money, which means I get to do really nice gigs. And if a gig's horrible, I don't have to think, well, I need to be nice to Mr. Spiky Head because... I did that was just an example of someone who might be a promoter in Bradford or something. But um, I don't have to be nice to them because I'm never going to do his gig again. And you have a little bit of power then where I can say, OK, that wasn't great, but at least I know I don't want to go
1: back there. And the flexibility to choose.
0: Yeah, absolutely, because you want to feel in control. That, we, the reason we, I think we want to do this is because we don't want someone else telling us what to do with our lives. And so what you don't want to feel is that there is a circuit and you have to play it. It's, it's really nice to go, I don't need to leave London. If I can earn money from acting, I don't have to leave London. I can do completely unpaid gigs all week in rooms of 30 or 40 people with people that I like watching as well, and it's really super fun.
1: It's interesting because a lot of people say that people who wanted to be actors and then go into stand-ups because they feel that they have more flexibility because you're your own director and whereas it's great in that if you are successful and you get lots of laughs it's completely down to you if you're unsuccessful and nobody laughs it's completely down to you
0: yeah um I guess that I I think I've always missed I always like working with other people which is why I I like doing impro once a week as well because it takes that pressure off I guess um but then people just blame the audience. I think, it's, I think that stand-ups don't go, oh, I got no laughs, it was down to me. I think most stand-ups go, The audience were a bunch of pricks <laughs> who I'm far too clever then, and they don't deserve me.
1: Do you think you can ever blame your audience? No. I know.
0: I mean, the, if, it, what you can say is, like a chef, if you were cooking food, you could be a cordon bleu chef or you could be making pizza. There will be someone who'll sit down in your restaurant who does not like your food it doesn't mean they don't like food and it doesn't mean you are a bad chef but it does mean they're different they're different uh customers and so that's what it is and so and it's never anyone's fault sometimes you just have to whether you're on stage or afterwards and you can't be hard on yourself and also it's good because sometimes you can persuade someone actually my pizza's tasty <laughs> uh, or vice versa and um and so you never give up on the audience and also they're just made up of people and also some audiences are just quiet i tell myself
1: some people just enjoy things quietly <laughs> and do you have any tips or advice for aspiring comics
0: um I guess the thing is writing all the time and also just I think it's like going to the gym as well you mustn't tell yourself you don't like gigs or you hate gigs or you find it hard you have to tell yourself you love it like going to the gym if you go oh no i should go to the gym but oh it's tiring you have to go no i love it and i feel great afterwards and it's really good for me and then it makes it much easier to go because you do have to gig as much as you can you have to be bloody obsessed about comedy and you have to watch it all the time and watch comi- comedy on youtube and read scripts and decide what you like and what you don't like and where you're going with it and, and be really strict on yourself a, as a discipline and you have to just write and get good at you can't be a perfectionist and you can't, so you can't be controlling over your stuff. You have to be all right with being mediocre for years and not wait. My boyfriend writes and he has never done stand-up, but he kind of, he's always waiting for like that perfect five minutes. And it's like that, unfortunately, the process has to happen with an audience and you'll get a perfect or good enough five minutes, a year and a half after you start doing it, not before you get to go to any gigs. And yeah, I think write everything down and just keep records of all the writing because it's quite useful sometimes going back and rereading all of these notes of things you didn't ever write up with a different mind and a fresh brain. So again, and being, But being obsessive is the key, I think.
1: Do you have a favourite venue that you prefer performing in? Ooh, um, well, it always feels like um,
0: uh, I'm so superstitious about it. Um, but I really like the Bracknell Comedy Club. It's, a, it's my favourite outside London venue, because I, I really do like small gigs, and so it's probably 80 people, and it's a cellar, so it's a really low ceiling. So the laugh, sound massive and they're just i guess because bracknell they're kind of privileged middle class people as well so while they're kind of filthy and they like to joke they also understand everything you're saying and then and they're never too drunk they're always kind of like up for it larry i was there a few weeks ago and the front row were slapping their thighs while they were laughing like a cartoon and you honestly wish you wish you could just like cut and paste that over the front of every gig where you just have people like oh like properly like laughing like Foods, but it's it's the environment that have because they're all so packed in it creates a really lovely buzzy environment there and they just regularly come and they see every single comedian they don't care what you've been on don't care they just really support everyone so that's a really good one outside London um I'm trying to think in London up the creek is lovely on a Sunday I've never done the weekends I know it's a different kind of audience but and it used to be a gig that was thought of being very scary but I think it's lovely it's a nice sized room that you feel like because people do shout out, with you there a little bit, but you can deal with it. It's not so kind of cavernous.
1: You could start a new phase of, instead of having a quote after someone on a review thing, you can just have a video, an interactive video of people slapping their thighs.
0: <laughs> I could. I could just draw a picture and go, a guy did this once.
1: <laughs> and do you have a favourite audience to perform to? Oh, I
0: know. I guess um, I always prefer cleverer audiences. I get scared when I look at... But it's, it's it's odd, isn't it? It's a class thing. I come from Montford, so I've got, had a, a working-class upbringing. But now, because of university and what I do, I feel very middle-class. And I get scared by working-class audiences. When I go back to Essex, and I've got material about Essex, but I always know after about three minutes I'm going to have to go into something that requires them... And it's weird, because actually certain words can make people shut down. Like, you could be in Hampstead and you can mention, mention Freud's house, and that, but and you forget that... Because we just go. Everyone knows. I mean, even if you're not, even if you're stupid, you know, who Sigmund Freud is. And actually, some people just be like, "What? What's she talking about now?" And so I get scared about that. But then I d- th- don't think that make should make you stop doing things or make you patronise people. It's just um, you just forget, don't you? I was looking. I was trying to learn a Geordie accent the other day, and I was looking on YouTube, and there were all these people who do this thing called tagging, where they just say loads of words in their accent, and the, all of these Newcastle girls were going, "Pea, pecan." Pecan, pecan, what's that?
1: And all of them were doing it. And you know, and you go, I just feel so privileged to know what a pecan is. <laughs> and you studied English at Sussex University. Do you have any tips or advice for students? Oh, just studying in general. Just read the
0: books. Read the books. I think um, I want to do another degree, and I think um, just you really have to appreciate. Um, I was reading a Kurt Vonnegut book the other day. He's one of my favourite. Actually, if I were, if I could be like any writer in stand-up I'd be like Kurt Vonnegut but doing it live he's my absolute favorite he said about 17% of the population of the world's life is worth living and when you think about it you go Yeah, that's probably about right and if you are at university in a western country then yeah you are definitely super privileged and um, and it's so difficult to feel like that sometimes because you get down or you feel frustrated that your life's not going the way you want it or you can't control things. But I think um, it's so important to just remember that. And I think part of really, I mean, at, at university, you just have to say yes to everything, don't you? To, to people, to nights out, to people who invite you out for coffee and just read as much as you can. And then when you finish, I mean, when I finished my English degree, I just literally felt like I'd been given a reading list which smashed my brain open to how little I knew and all I've been doing since is still catching up on reading lists and courses that I wasn't able to take um, and I really want to do another degree. So I hope I, um, my secret fantasy is I get a theatre job that, like in the West End. It's a long job for like a year and then I can just start a degree in the daytime because after you've rehearsed it would just be up and then just do three of them in a row and do a degree in um, PPE at LSE. That's my That's my dream. <laughs>